0: Well, again, good morning. Welcome. So glad that you are here today, that you've chosen to, to gather and to, to worship in this, this place. My name is Nathan. I'm a campus pastor. Uh, it's uh, great to, to be able to be together uh, and again, this is, for those of you who are new, this is, you don't know any, any different, but for those of you who have been around, this is our second week kind of in this setup here, trying of changing things around a little bit. Um, and we heard lots of great feedback last, after last Sunday. And, and just, just even a, a reminder, uh, we haven't set it up like this, simply, you know, we pulled out of a hat, ways to set up churches, you know, and pick this one. Uh, we, we chose this intentionally because we, we believe it says something very subtle, um, but clear about who we believe we are called to be as Christians. Uh, that when we come to church, we don't come simply only to, to worship God. We do certainly come to worship him. But we also come to know and be known, that that's part of what it means to be a part of his family, to be a part of his church. And in a subtle way, it reminds us, right? Because you can't help but see that we, we, we aren't doing this by ourselves, uh, that God has called us together in this place uh, to seek him and to serve him. So I'm excited about it. Uh, it's been a little bit of a, you know, an adjustment for me, having to try to figure out, you know, all that stuff. You guys are super close. Um, I'll try not to spit too much, um, but you will get wet. Um, but it's a change, right? And we're excited to see what what God what God does. And so, why don't I why don't I pray for us, uh, and then we'll we'll jump into this text for this morning? God, I am so thankful that uh, when you call us to yourself, you call us to your people. Never in isolation. Uh, never to, to try to live this. This life, seeking you, knowing you, following never to do it on our our own. And so, God, I pray that you would forgive us for the ways that we isolate ourselves. And, God, that you would be with us even as we gather in community. God, I pray for our our community groups as well as they uh, relaunch tonight and this week. God, we pray that you would be present in those homes, in those lives. God, that we together would do your work in each other's lives. Uh, Enable us to do that. Now, God, as we come to your word. God, I pray that you would speak to us through your son and through this incredible scene that we get to be drawn into. Um, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so I, a few months ago, um, I, was, I was at a party. Um, and I didn't know a lot of the people. Uh, and so I was just sort of, you know, making small talk, you know, trying my best to be friendly. I'm not very good at small talk. And so very quickly, I feel like it gets, it gets awkward. Um, and and after a while, the inevitable happens, right? I get asked my absolute favorite question. Some of you could probably guess what my favorite question is. So Nathan, what do you do? I hate that question. Okay? And and it's not because... I mean, I I love being a pastor. I'm not ashamed to be a pastor. I'm not ashamed to be a a, a Christian. But I have answered that question enough times to know what typically happens. Usually a a couple of things. Uh, First off, the the person who asks it, they just don't know what to do with the answer. Um, Especially especially if they're not a Christian. Uh, For them in that moment to find out that they have just been fraternizing with and even almost enjoying... just about, just about uh, slid off there. Um, just a, almost enjoying a, you know, a man of the cloth, right? It's, just, it's too much, right? They start apologizing for swear words they didn't even say, okay? It's awkward for, for everybody. It's almost like you can see it in their face. Oh, thank God you told me. I almost thought you were normal, right? And end of conversation. So that's kind of the first thing that, that often happens. Not all, always, but often happens. Uh, the other is more of how I sort of internalize that experience, so I don't know if it's actually what's going on in this person's mind, but this is, this is often how I feel. I feel like I get a label right in that moment, right? No longer a person, but a type, not just a Christian, but a leader of Christians. Regressive, gullible, superstitious, uneducated, boring, repressive, fill in the blank, right? As if I'm from Nazareth or something. Wait, what? Nazareth? It's not really a label that we use today in our culture, right? It doesn't really mean much to us. Uh, but in the first century, this was one of the first labels that Jesus was given. One whiff of Jesus, and Nathanael quickly dismisses him, quickly says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And he just sort of you know, dismisses him, right? It's the, it's the ultimate statement of skepticism. And it means all of those things, right? Outdated, ancient. It's, it's how it's often used. And, and the reality is, whether we like it or not, Christianity will always be from Nazareth. Always. And who wants to follow some backwoods hillbilly, right? Talk about wrong side of the tracks. Maybe, maybe that's why you're not a Christian this morning. Or maybe that's why even if you are a Christian, you really don't like talking about it especially with people who, who aren't of, of faith, right? Christianity will always be easy to dismiss, easy to doubt, easy to despise. Christianity will always be from Nazareth. What do I do for a living? It would almost be easier just to answer, it. I, you know, I clean the sewers, right? It would almost be simpler in that moment. And yet Nazarene or not, Easy to dismiss or not. This Jesus, we cannot keep him to ourselves. We, we can't simply, simply hold it in. And, and we, we see that in the story. And we'll see that these next eight weeks together. We're, we're beginning a series today. We're sort of nestling into the gospel of John for eight weeks. We've, we've called it Jesus Listens. Because Jesus always listens, right? He listens to the skeptic. He listens to the apathetic, to the outcast, to the, to the grieving. And we want to be a people who listen. We, we want to be a people who, who loves and cares for those who are on the outside of faith, right? To see them, hopefully to see them encounter this Nazarene. And so this morning, Jesus listens to the skeptic. And so we're going, to, we're going to spend our time together today just really telling the story. You can follow along if you like. Uh, it's in the Gospel of John, right in the first chapter, uh, towards the end of the chapter. We're just going to kind of go through it, uh, and we'll make some observations along the way that hopefully will help us connect their world with our world. Now, uh, the Gospel of John, just to kind of set us up, since we're going to be here for eight weeks, the Gospel of John is one of my favorite places. I mean, I, I love the Gospel of John because he, he he just paints such a beautiful picture of who Jesus is, and he does so with such purpose. I mean, John explicitly, right, he writes his gospel because he wants us to know and see who Jesus really is and not just, not just view him as an outsider, but to be gripped by his beauty and his power and to give our lives to him. That, that's how he writes. That's how he frames everything that he says in his telling of, of this Jesus. And it was written in the first century, important to to note. Uh, And there's good historical evidence from a variety of sources uh, that would indicate that John was written by the same John that Jesus knew, by this this, this friend of his. And not just friend, but but John was one of the the, the top three disciples, right? Uh, One of Jesus's very best friends. So, So when John writes, he writes what he saw, Or at least what he heard about firsthand there in that day. And that's that's a very important thing for us to realize. This is an eyewitness account of somebody peering in on this mysterious Nazarene. And just a couple stories in. So again, at the end of chapter 1 of John, just a couple stories in, we see Jesus finding his first disciples. And so first he finds Andrew. And then Andrew goes out and finds his brother Simon. He brings Simon to Jesus. He tells Simon, Simon, we found, I found the Messiah, right? The, the one that we have been waiting for for centuries. And he brings Simon to Jesus and Jesus gives him a new name, right? He calls him Peter. And then very, the very next day, John tells us, they go to Galilee and they find Philip. Follow me, Jesus says. And he does. And then Philip goes out and he finds Nathaniel. Nathanael, you'll, you'll never believe it, right? You'll never believe who we found. We found the one that Moses and the prophets have written about for centuries, Jesus from Nazareth. I mean, they, they know where Jesus is from. And honestly, chances are, if they hadn't already met him, they probably would have disregarded him as well. But now that they've seen him, now that they've experienced him, they just cannot shut up about him. Because you see, Jesus finds us to find others. Jesus finds us to find That's how the news spreads, right? We, we see it in this story, right? They, they, one person finds another and then the, another person finds... This is how it works. They, they don't care that he's from Nazareth. They are convinced that he's the one. And they have to tell others about him. I mean, you always share the things you're most excited about, right? It's just human nature. It's, it's, the way we, it's the way we do it, right? How many people have you told that Ikea is now in Kansas City, right? I mean, seriously, right? You have told everybody you know, right? It's, it's how, do, how many people know whether you prefer KU or K-State? How many people in your life? How many people have you told that you have encountered, that you have been rescued by this one who saves you from all of your regret, who heals all of your shame, who promises you life and joy. Ugh. It hurts, doesn't it? I mean, that, to even think, I'm lousy at this. I'm just speaking firsthand, right? Yeah, but Ikea, is from Sweden, right? Not Nazareth, it's way cooler, isn't it? And we just don't talk about this. It's a little little taboo for us and and our culture and and personality-wise. We just don't like it. And honestly, for me, a lot of it has to do with... I don't want to be like this guy that The Onion writes about. Street evangelist saves 300 souls from enjoying park, right? (laughs) I don't want to be that guy, right? I don't want to be a bother. Maybe, Maybe we feel like, I just don't know what to say. I don't want to save 300 souls from enjoying the park. And the last thing I want is to be from Nazareth, be easily dismissed pushed aside and laughed at now let me pause for a moment because if you're if you're not a christian and you're here this morning let me just we're really glad that you're here you're not alone okay if that describes you thanks for being here thanks for journeying with us asking questions we hope that you find him in this place but let me just say for a second something to you directly because it might feel a little bit awkward right Um, because I'm talking to uh, all of those who are Christians about how we need to talk to you more about our faith, right? Like inside secrets or something. It feels a little bit strange, but let let me just sort of pause for a second, because I hope that the Christians that you've encountered here or elsewhere, I hope that they've been loving and patient with you. I hope they haven't been argumentative or manipulative or judgmental to you. I hope, I hope that we have been compassionate towards you. But look at it from our angle for a moment, because we, we all share the things that we're most excited about. Now, I mean, you do it too, right? We all do that. And look at it like this. If I, if I actually believe, I mean, at the very core of my being, I actually believe that the God of the universe, the one who made me, has found me. And that he loved me so much that he, he gave his own life. He came to this earth and died a brutal death to rescue me from all of my guilt and my shame. And then he rose again, offering me life, true life. And if I actually believe that, th- that my greatest chance at joy and happiness in life is found in him, and that therefore your greatest joy and happiness in life is found in him, if I actually believe that, not to mention eternal life, right? Or a terrible alternative. If I actually believe all that, what kind of jerk would I have to be not to share it with you? And yet we Christians, we sit on it, don't we? I do. News like this, the thing that we long for so deep within us, and I like to keep it to myself. I mean, imagine it like this. Imagine if we, were, if we were all starving, right? Dying of starvation. And imagine if a handful of people stumbled upon an endless source of exquisite delights, not, not because they're smarter, not because they're better, but simply out of grace. Wouldn't you want them to tell you? And, and wouldn't we want to be able to share that? And so if you are a Christian, Jesus has found you to find others. So who are you looking for? Not, not just waiting around for hoping that maybe they'll ask a question, but who are you, who are you actually looking for? Who are you. Who are you pursuing? Yeah, but wait a second. To say it like that, doesn't it just make people targets, right? Big bullseye, right, on their, their foreheads or something like that? It makes us sort of salespeople. Is that who we are? Always be closing, right, as Christians? But let's, let's continue the story. Let's go back, go back to it. So Jesus, remember, Jesus finds Andrew. Andrew finds Peter. They find Philip. I mean, so far, it's, it's really working out until... Philip finds Nathanael. You know, you can picture him coming to him, right? He's so excited. Nathanael, you'll never believe it. We have found the one, the, 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 the one that our, our hearts have been waiting for, the one that we have been expecting for 2,000 years to come and to rescue us, his people. We, we have found him, the answer to all of our hopes. Yeah, well, great. Tell me about him, Right? Okay, well, let's see here. He's uh, medium height, uh, dark complexed, long hair. He's, he wears sandals a lot. He's got a beard. Um, let's see, what else? Uh, he's from Nazareth, right? Um, i sorry, where is he from? Nazareth. What I find so interesting here is Philip's from Cana in Galilee. Nazareth is also in Galilee, so Galilee's the region, and the towns there are, you know, Cana and, and, and Nazareth. And Nazareth. The Judeans, right, which is another region, they all look down on the Galileans, right? The Galileans were like the lowest of the low. And yet here, even Nathanael, right, this Galilean has somebody he has to look down on. Isn't that interesting, right? Maybe not interesting. Maybe it's just really pathetic, right? That we as humans, right, we all have people that we look down on. Every one of us, those people. And so for for Nathanael, it's, it's this guy from Nazareth. Can anything good possibly come out of Nazareth? And don't, don't miss what's happening here. Because we can kind of analyze it and we just are, are observers on the story. But Philip has just shared with him uh, that he believes he has found somebody worth building his life upon. I mean, Philip has just shared that that all of 2,000 years of history and culture and religion for the Jewish people has now been summed up in this one person. He's laid it all out there. And imagine how crushing it would be in that moment to hear your friends just dismiss it altogether. And so how does Philip respond? How dare you? Anger, right? How dare you insult my Jesus? I'm, I'm going I'm to convince you. I'll, I'll argue you into believing, or at least try to manipulate you, or, or you know, secretly, quietly judge you. Maybe I'll do that. Nazareth, come on, your mom's from Nazareth. Kind of hear him saying that, can't you? I mean, sadly, that's how many of us would respond, isn't it? That's how we would do it. We'd be offended and, and ticked and argumentative in that moment. But Philip, I love it. I mean, I picture him just with a slight smile because he knows. He knows what he's just said is ridiculous right, that, that it is nearly impossible to believe everything that he's, li- oh yeah, sure, after 2,000 years, you, you, Philip, have found the one. He knows what he said is hard to believe. And so with a simple smile, what does he say? Come and see. Just come and see. Because Jesus must be seen and not sold. Jesus must be seen, not sold. I mean, we Christians, we're not, we're not salespeople, right? What do I got to do to get you to drive home Jesus today? That's, that's not us. That's not who we are. It's a difference for us between ultimate motives and ulterior motives. So in the book, The Art of Neighboring, I think this is a really important point. Um, ulterior motives are deceptive, right? For example, it would be like saying, you know, I'm going to be nice to my neighbor now so that I can coyly share Jesus with them later, Right? It's just manipulation. It's not friendship. It's not love. It's just it's ends and means, right? That's all it is. And that's, that's deceptive. It's unhelpful. Frankly, your neighbor or the people around you who don't know, they can smell it a mile away anyway. But ultimate motives. It's subtle, but it's, it's very different. Ultimate motives um, are, are focusing on, they're not, they're not hidden. Uh, and our ultimate motive is to love our neighbors so much that we're not content merely with being nice to them. I mean, certainly we want to be nice to them. But we're not content to leave it there because we love them too much, and we believe that the source of their greatest joy and satisfaction is found in this person from Nazareth two thousand years ago. And so, our ultimate motive is, is is love, and to show them who He is. And if our motive is love, we're not surprised by skepticism. I mean, come on, we believe that some guy from the dead wrote from the dead, right? Two thousand. We're, we're not surprised by skepticism, are we? And we're not offended. Christianity will always be from Nazareth. Instead, with a smile, we simply say, Come and see. Come and see. I, I don't have all, all the answers you might say. Um, you need to check out Jesus for yourself. I'd be glad to help any, any way that I possibly can. But why don't you come and see? Now, the hard part, of course, is that come and see takes a whole lot more effort than hurry up and buy, right? And come and see requires a relationship. It requires true love, a pursuit of friendship. It requires that you let people into your life, into your family, even into the ugly parts to see what it is that you have chosen to build your life upon. It's about actually being a friend. And come and see, it might include an invitation to your community group. At some point, maybe that's part of it. Maybe come and see, I think, often involves inviting people to come and see Jesus here. We believe that he is here with us, that we get to experience him together in a unique way corporately and be able to hear about who he is. So tell your friends, tell your coworkers, tell your your neighbor, come and see. Just come and see. Just come and see for yourself who Jesus is. And Nathaniel, he does. He does exactly that, doesn't he? He gives this backwoods, hillbilly, Nazarene chance. And when Jesus sees him coming, right? Jesus knows his prejudice. He knows his doubts, his, his longings. He knows everything about him. And what does Jesus do? He affirms him. Do you see that? What does Jesus say? Can, no, wait. He says, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. One who is honest and true, right? Nathaniel's like, how do you know me? We just met here. How do you you know me? (sighs) Nathaniel, I have known you longer than you have known yourself. Nathaniel, I, I saw you under the fig tree, which is a phrase that commentators and scholars really have very little idea what Jesus meant in that moment, Right? But at the very least, what they're all agreed upon, what we can, we can know for sure is that Jesus, at the very least, he's saying, Nathaniel, I know you. I have seen you. I know, I know who you are. I know what's going on in your life. I know who you are. And now, for, for Nathaniel, being known, it changes everything for him. Because look how he responds. I mean, it's almost ridiculous, right? The way he so quickly, I mean, his response to this, in this moment is, Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi! You are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. There's a big difference from what he said just a few minutes before, right? As he encountered this Jesus. But did you catch this? Jesus affirms rather than attacks honest skepticism. Jesus knows he's from Nazareth, right? He's not, he's not surprised by doubts or questions about his identity. And he doesn't just listen to the skeptic. He actually affirms him. But, but notice here, don't miss this. It's really important. It's honest skepticism that Jesus is affirming. Right? He, he says, in whom there is, there's no deceit in you that, you. that you're honest, he's saying. Because if you're a skeptic, there is a really big difference between searching for the truth as a skeptic and hiding from the truth as a skeptic. And, so, and sometimes it's even hard to know maybe where, you, where you're at on that, what, what your, your motives actually are. So let me, let me restate it as a, as a question. Are you a skeptic because you don't have enough evidence? Or are you a skeptic because you don't want the evidence? I mean, if you're really honest, right? Which, which one is it? Uh, is it that, 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 that first one, right? That first one's honest, right? Searching for truth, that's, that's Nathaniel, and Jesus affirms you. But the other... You're lying to yourself. It's not that you don't believe, it's that you don't even want to believe. You just, maybe you just like the, the way life is and you know that things would have to change. Or you, or you like the idea that you're not accountable to anyone ultimately. Or, or maybe maybe your prejudice, are just, they're just too deep about who Jesus is. I mean, you know, Christians, we are often called bigots, Right? And sadly, many of us have earned that title. I'm almost proud of it some. And, and you know, I'm sorry, right, for, for the way we as Christians so often give Jesus such a bad name. But the definition of a bigot is someone who is obstinately or intolerantly devoted to his or her own opinions and prejudices. And the reality is, if you reject Jesus simply because he's from Nazareth, and you know what I mean right there, right? Sim- simply because he's outdated. Right He doesn't fit with your, your preconceptions of, uh, or cultural identity or, or whatever your prejudice may be. If you just simply dismiss him without giving him an honest chance, then isn't, isn't this what you're doing? But if you are an honest skeptic, sincerely looking for truth, I believe you will absolutely find it. Because Jesus says, <laughs> "Ask." and it will be given to you. Knock, and the door will be open. Seek, and you will find, right? And he says, I am the truth. He declares that he himself, he he is the truth that we're longing for, and he longs to show himself to you. And if you are a Christian, ask yourself, am I listening? Am I really listening to, to their doubts, their questions, as well as to your own? The things that you're personally wrestling with in, in, in faith, don't just give into mindless belief. And don't be surprised by unanswered questions either. Because, I mean, look how the story goes, right? Because right after Nathaniel tells Jesus that he's in, right? And he tells him passionately, okay, I'm in, right? Jesus, this, all, this surprises me about the story. Because Jesus, he's kind of like, whoa, whoa, slow down, buddy. Uh, you know, put, put, put the brakes on just a tiny bit. I, I'm going to show you. You think this is cool? You think what I just said to you is cool? Just wait to the things that you're gonna be able to see if you follow me. Just wait to the miracles that are in store for you. It amazes me that Jesus does that. Because at the end of the day, I mean mindless skepticism as well as mindless belief, I think, can be equally dangerous. And when we when we come to church, we don't we don't check our brains at the door. We, we examine the evidence, right? We want to be thoughtful people engaged with, with history and culture and, and with God's word. We, we want to engage in that. We want to check our minds at the door. We want to take our doubts and our questions seriously. But we want to keep moving forward in faith, to keep stepping forward in faith. And just look at who they say Jesus is. Rabbi, son of God. Earlier early on, a few verses earlier, Peter referred to him or one of them referred to him as the Messiah. And if they're right, if this is who Jesus is, then Jesus can be rejected, but he cannot be ignored. And so if if you're a Christian, you can't just say, come and see to the people around you. You can't just listen to their doubts and their questions. At some point, you have to tell them who he is. You have to to tell them who who you've encountered him to be and what, what he's meant to you, how you have been changed by him. And if you're a skeptic, ask yourself, are you rejecting him or are you still just trying to ignore him? Because we, we want to ignore him, right? That feels passive and you know we're not really, we, it's not that we don't like Jesus, we just want to kind of ignore him. But if this is who he is, he, he, cannot, he cannot simply be ignored. For, for example, let me just give a few examples of, of what that might look like for you if, if you're sort of struggling with faith, struggling to, to believe. Uh, for some um, in various questions or conversations I've had, for some, if I ask you, you know, why don't, why don't you believe that this is true? Uh, for some of you, you might quickly go, well, I, you know, I just cannot stand what the Bible says about sex. I, I don't get excited about that. I don't want to live like that. And, and so as a result, I'm, I'm not going to believe it. Or others, others might say, well, I just, I love science. I mean, I, I really like science as well. Um, but, but think, oh, well, I can't, I, can't, I can't embrace Jesus because I love science. Or, or others, maybe, you know, the Old is just weird sometimes. And we all come with, with various doubts, various questions, and honestly, I share those with you. Those are reasonable concerns, but if that's your focus, if that's your answer to the question of why I'm not a Christian, then you're ignoring the center. You're, you're dismissing it because of things on the, on the edges, and I'm not saying those aren't important. Those questions need answering, and yet we have to start with the, the centerpiece. The, the, the beginning question is, who is Jesus, and what has he done? That's, that's where we've got to begin. And so let me give you a next step. If you're not a Christian, I, I hope that you'll spend some time this week simply examining your doubts, uh, thinking through what are, what are the things that really are holding, holding you back. And are you honestly, answer this question, are you on, honestly searching for truth or, or trying to hide from it? I mean, are you even open to the idea that this Nazarene could be the one that you've been looking for? And why don't you pray and ask Jesus to show you? Ask, to, ask him to show himself to you. And if you are a believer, let me, let me give a next step for us as well. There's a card for you uh, underneath your, your seats. Go ahead and grab it now if you would. Um, looks like this. And there's a couple things that you can do with this. Uh, here's, here's my card. I filled it out this morning for my family. Uh, and the idea with this card is that you put yourself in the middle and that's your home. And then you fill in your neighbors, right? So these, these are my neighbors. You can see I've got a, a lot of work to do. I don't know all of my, my neighbors. Um, but do your best to, and I do actually live next to a pastor, um, believe it or not. There actually used to be three pastors, right, in that square, but one of them moved. Um, the new family there has moved in. Um, it was a little weird, right? I felt bad for all of our neighbors, right? Three pastors on one street is a little too much, even for me. Um, but fill that out. Fill that out as best as you can. And, and, don't feel bad if you can't get all the answers because I can't, right? Um, I need my fam. We need to talk about this. Are, are we getting to know our neighbors, the people that, that God has placed us within feet of, um, that we sh- share lives that close, um, and yet they don't even don't even know each other? And so that's that's one idea of how to use the card. Um, another way is just maybe just take it so a blank one here. Um, maybe that's not you, right? Maybe you, you live in a neighborhood that doesn't work that way, or maybe you have some relationships with others uh, and you want to begin there, right? Maybe there's a coworker that. You, somebody from college, right? You, just, you have a strong relationship with kids. Uh, maybe it's somebody who sits next to you at school, or your coach. Uh, maybe it's, it's somebody else that, that God has put in you. Just do your best to fill out those squares. Um, and if you can't fill them out with people that you are, are praying will come and see Jesus, pray that God would fill them up for you. That he give you people in your life to love, simply to, simply to love, and begin loving them. As you fill it out, I mean, put it someplace where you can pray, where you can be reminded, pray for them. Pray that you'd be intentional, that you would actually, truly love them. Be a friend of them. Maybe invite them to come and see, to check out who Jesus is for themselves. And friends, I've shared with you before, if you've been around Christ Community like the time, I've shared with you, I struggle with doubts. I have always, my whole life, I, all I can remember of faith has been coupled with wrestling through the truth claims of Christianity. And I still have lots and lots of unanswered questions. But let me, let me tell you one of the main reasons why I'm a Christian, why, why I've given my life to this man from Nazareth. One of my main reasons is because something happened Easter morning. I'm convinced of that. And I, and I, don't, I don't believe it simply because the Bible tells me so, Okay. And I, I believe the Bible, so I don't, I don't want you to, to misunderstand, but I don't believe it simply because the Bible tells me so. I believe it because this guy named John who wrote it down saw it. And, and these, these people that are in our story, right, Andrew and Peter and Philip, and even the skeptical Nathaniel saw it. They saw a man die and then come back to life. And 500 people saw it. And they wrote it down for us in these eyewitness documents that we can now read and study that something happened there. that day. Yeah, it's a long shot, believing that some person right in history actually rose from the dead. But there's enough historical evidence. I'm, I'm convinced personally. There's enough historical evidence for me to build my life upon this. And I want to be with the guy who defeated death at the end of the day. And we could step forward with faith. And I, I believe I've met him. I, I believe that he, he's changed my life. Uh, that I, I'm, in ways I can't even under, understand, I am not the person I would be without him. And that I keep encountering him. That he keeps, in mysterious ways, he keeps showing up here with us in, in, in my life, even in my doubt and skepticism. And you know, the reality is, Jesus, b- before coming to earth, right, God himself, he could have looked down from heaven upon us. And he could have so easily said, oh, can anything good Come from earth. Can, can anything good come from this mess that they have made of my creation? Because he sees it. He sees how broken we are, how we hurt ourselves and we hurt each other. And yet he came simply out of love, and he gave everything for us. He gave his own life on a cross so that we could be forgiven of all of our messes and that we could be restored and believe that redemption is coming to us individually, but collectively and to to our world, that, that he is going to make it right, that he rose again to say that death will not have the last word in our lives. I mean, yes, Christianity will always be from Nazareth, But Jesus Christ will always be from eternity. And he is worth giving our lives to. And he's worth sharing with others. But don't take my word for it. I want you to meet Stephen. I've got a a video. Stephen and I sat down together this past week. And Stephen and his wife, Maria, they've been a part of our our church here just for a few months. Uh, And Stephen and Maria, they are newly married. Uh, They just had a baby, their first, uh, this last Wednesday. Uh, And Stephen uh, was also just newly baptized. Uh, But I'll let him tell his story. Let's watch.
1: My name's Stephen Huggins. Uh, I'm a patent attorney with Hobie Williams, which is an intellectual property uh, law boutique firm here in Overland Park. I've always sought to have a relationship with God and, and to understand the Bible and to be around Christian communities and, and individuals. But there has always been that skepticism that developed early on and, and stayed with me that kind of, I think, enabled me to Maintained sort of a safe distance from a pure faith. It provided a bit of a cushion to me, yeah. a, a, a reason for me to delay a full commitment. It was an enable. It was an enabler, essentially, to um, for, for my continued lifestyle and, and continued um, holding of religion at arm's length. And faith at arm's length. And so this brings us to a service that I attended here at Christ Community about, I would say, four months ago. I had been praying about, you know, uh, my struggles with faith and asking Jesus to to show me, to, to walk with me, walk more closely, to at least help me struggle with my skepticisms and doubts. And the answer that I arrived at was that doubt and skepticism doesn't have to keep me from my faith that I've wanted. It, it In fact, it shouldn't. And ultimately, I think there will always be questions that will go unanswered about the Bible. It's it may be the perfect word, but I'm not the perfect reader and that means there will always be things I won't fully understand. But it didn't hit home until that service and something just changed and something happened and, and I was able to think of my doubts and skepticisms as opportunities to grow in my relationship and walking with Christ, and it was, it was pivotal. I, it's hard to describe the sort of cascade of realizations that this, that this brought to me, and it was, it was an amazing experience that, that I hope I always remember. In the end, we are all left with a basic, a very basic question, and that is, do we, You know, are we something more than meat on bone on a planet spinning in a solar system in a galaxy in a universe? And my answer to that has always been yes, we are something more. Jesus to me is the embodiment of that something more. Hope and love and a purity that goes beyond what what we currently know and have ever known. And obviously what comes from that after we die is joy at reunion with him.